Hello, welcome to the podcast of Grace Fellowship Church Shrewsbury. We meet every Sunday at 9 and 11 a.m. in Southern York County, Pennsylvania. You can join our morning live stream on Facebook or YouTube. Just search for GFC Shrewsbury. You can find more information about us at gfcshrewsbury.org. We are so excited to bring you this message today, and it is our hope that you will come to know and believe Jesus Christ more fully through it. Pastor Jeff began the series last week, and it is launching the new movement of Grace Fellowship of Confessional Community. Now, the thing is that Grace Fellowship has always since the foundation been a confessional community. But what God is doing is calling us in a deeper and greater way to move forward as confessional community together. And I'm gonna touch on just a few of the foundations that Pastor Jeff brought to us last week as as he presented uh, this first message. I wanna encourage you to consider going back and and watch through that message again. Again, I'm gonna hit just a few of the items, but uh, it builds a, a very solid foundation for us as we move in this new wave of confessional community. So the first is concerning discipleship. That center statement, the definitive mark of a disciple of Jesus is love, is a powerful, powerful statement. That we can define disciple as being a disciple of, of Jesus Christ in so many ways, but yet Jesus said that by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. And there are two primary loves that God calls us to. The first is to love God with everything that we are. And the second is to love your neighbor as yourself. So as we move forward, we want to grow as disciples. Part of the measure of that is we can look in the mirror and say, am I growing in love? Is the love of God being manifested more and more to me and through me? So again, the foundation of discipleship is love. Secondly, this definition that was brought to us. I wanna just, again, walk through this and look at each part, that discipleship is a Holy Spirit-powered life. It's not of our own power, it's not of our works, not of our deeds, a Holy Spirit-powered life of dependence, discipline, and obedience. We can just meditate on those three words, right? of dependence, discipline, and obedience that connects with and receives from God the gospel every day. You know, it's so, it's so easy for us to get into a routine and a pattern or a week where, where we come and we, we're fed and we connect with God on a Sunday morning and then we come back next week and in between there's a gap. But this is about connecting with God in an everyday basis and not just once a day but throughout the day. So it connects and receives from God the, the, the gospel every day, letting the love and grace that comes to us, listen to this process, the love and grace that comes to us, we need to receive it, flow through us that more would know Jesus and that Jesus would be glorified here on earth as in heaven. So it's this process that that I'm looking upward, I'm looking inward, I'm allowing him to come into me, to flow through me. That brings transformation, building the kingdom of God together. The discipleship isn't just about growing me and causing me to be more mature. It's connected intimately with evangelism that we're, we're allowing this gospel to flow through us. Because we love God and we love people, how can we help but share the truth of the love of Jesus Christ? The full life flow of Jesus comes to us 
and moves through us. And now we're going to move to this declaration. And again, this is on the card that comes with each devotional. Um, but I would like us to read this together. This is the Declaration of Everyday Discipleship. Would you read with me? I have great worth apart from my performance because Jesus Christ gave his life for me and therefore imparted great value to me. I am deeply loved, fully pleasing, totally forgiven, accepted, and complete in Christ. I am a child of God. Let's continue. Because of justification, I am completely forgiven and fully pleasing to God. I no longer have to fear failure. Because of reconciliation, I am totally accepted by God. I no longer have to fear rejection. Because Jesus died for me, I am deeply loved by God. I no longer have to fear punishment, nor do I have to punish others. Because of regeneration, I have been made brand new, complete in Christ. I no longer need to experience the pain of shame. So as we allow these truths to sink deeper and deeper into our being, as we allow them to to transform our thinking and mold our hearts, we'll become stronger and stronger in Christ, we'll be conformed more and more to the image of Jesus Christ. As we walk through this life of continually growing as a disciple of Jesus Christ, we need to rely completely on God revealing himself to us through his word, through his spirit, and his people. That God is constantly desiring to speak to us. And as, as this, the definition started off, it's a, the discipleship, it's a Holy Spirit-empowered life. A Holy Spirit-empowered life, which means it's the spirit of God living in us that is causing us to grow. It's the spirit of God living in us that is even drawing us closer and closer to God and giving us a desire to want him more. So in order for that to happen, there needs to be a process. In order for us to to live a Holy Spirit-empowered life as a disciple of Jesus Christ, we need to understand, first of all, our need of him. We need to understand that, that we were born in sin and we're separated from God. But God provided the payment through Jesus Christ, through his death on the cross, that we can be born again. And it's as we accept that work, as we apply that work of Jesus Christ to our lives, that it's not just a prayer, it's not just a statement, there's a transformation. That when we were born again, the Holy Spirit comes into us. We are regenerated by the power of the Holy Spirit. Something supernatural happens that takes us from death to life. That's the Holy Spirit-empowered life. And that is what must happen first in order for us to become a a growing disciple, one who is pursuing God and growing in him, we must be born again. So the focus today is a child of God, a child of God. That last statement in that declaration is so powerful and so strong, and it is this, I am a child of God. Now, when we started John in that first chapter, We have this declaration in the gospel in chapter one that says, yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Again, to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, children born not of natural descent nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. 
To make that declaration, I am a child of God, is again surrendering to the work of God and allowing his spirit to come into us. So in order for us to be able to read that declaration, to be able to read that entire declaration of everyday discipleship hinges on one thing. You need to be a child of God. Now there are parts of it that are gonna apply to all because God loves all. But I can't declare acceptance, I can't declare the complete forgiveness unless I've become a child of God. And that's what we're going to walk through today is, is becoming a child of God. Now if you're not a child of God, as the, as the confessional community start, it's not a prerequisite. If you remember, John Wesley has some really strong requirements prior to sitting into a meeting. Being, be, being a child of God is not a prerequisite to be part of a confessional community here at Grace because the reality is, is that it's often when a person gets around followers of Jesus and starts to, start to hear their lives, start to hear their confessions, start to hear their testimonies, that it draws them into that place where they desire to become a child of God. So all are welcome to confessional communities. However, for the declaration to be completely true in your life, you must be a child of God. So as was shared last week when we looked at the six streams of the, of the church of Jesus Christ and we see how, how again Christ is manifested through his body, we are pointing to the three streams that we really feel that God is calling us deeper into and those streams are the contemplative life, holiness and incarnation. And in order for us to go there, Pastor Jeff made, these, made this statement so powerful, two things that we need to know deep in our hearts Two things that we need to know deep in our hearts, the depth of God's love and the depth of our depravity. We need to know both of these, the depth of God's love and the depths of our brokenness. And we're gonna be looking at both of those today. But what we're gonna be looking at today is what we are saved from and, what we, what, and how we are saved what we are saved from, and how we are saved. And then we're going to, and through everyday discipleship, we're gonna be discovering more and more what we're saved to as we pursue the fullness of Christ in us, in our individual lives and in our community together. So for those that are born again, maybe what I've said sounds like, okay, this is a basic salvation message. I got this, we're good, tune out. Let me tell you that I've, I was fortunate to come to Christ at a very young age. And I've walked with the Lord, not perfectly, but I've walked with the Lord through most of my life. And this is one of the most challenging messages I've ever prepared. It's not new truth, but there's a fresh work. It's that new wine that God is desiring to do. So I wanna encourage you, wherever you are in your walk in faith this morning, Maybe you're a new Christian, you just came to Christ. Maybe you've served Christ most of your life. Maybe you haven't come to him yet. For all of you, God wants to speak a fresh word to us. He wants to speak a deep word to us. So I believe that God is leading, leading us together to three things today. First of all, to see God more clearly. Secondly, to see ourselves and other people more through God's eyes. And third, to be more fully equipped to share the gospel with unbelievers. So let's pray to that end. God, thank you, Lord for the gift of this time. God, we thank you that you are here. We know that you're everywhere, but God, we thank you that as we've gathered in the name of Jesus that you are in our midst. And God, that you are moving uniquely among this body, not just those who are in person, but those that are joining us online. We thank you for how your spirit is moving even right now as we've gathered in the name of Jesus.
And God, we pray for miracles today in every one of our lives. God, that you would help us to see more clearly. God, help us to see you more clearly. Help us, Lord, to see the work that you have done and that you're desiring to do more clearly. God, give us eyes to see ourselves and others through your eyes. God, equip us, Lord, that your life would flow through us in greater and greater ways as disciples who receive and share. God, I pray against any distraction in any of our lives. I pray against any distraction that would come to me even now. God, I pray, Lord, that any distraction would be set aside and that we would be able to focus on you, God, that you would give us a clarity, Lord, to hear you clearly, God, to understand you fully and to receive you deeply. And God, this can only happen by the work of your Holy Spirit. So Holy Spirit, have your way in us. God, I thank you for the agreement and prayer that we have right now. God, as we are desiring for you to do everything in each one of us that you desire to do for your glory and for your honor in Jesus' name, amen. So I'd like us to look at this statement and totally blow it apart. (laughs) Three words, life without Jesus. This statement came to me, it's just been uh, the last couple of days, I couldn't release it and I wasn't sure how it's supposed to fit in, but I, I felt like God wanted me to bring it to you right here, right now, life without Jesus, it's an oxymoron, which means it's a contradictory statement, it's an impossible statement. And it's on at least two levels. So I wanna explain this. First of all, life without Jesus is not possible even physically. Life without Jesus is not possible even physically. Hebrews 1.3 says this. The Son, Jesus Christ, is sustaining all things by his powerful word. Jesus, the Son, is sustaining all things by his powerful word. And then in Colossians 1, verses 16 and 17, it says this, in him, in Jesus Christ, all things were created, and in him, all things hold together. So life, as we see it, as we experience it, every single one of us, all of creation, not just people, but the planet, nature, the universe, it's impossible without him. He is sustaining, is sustaining all, he's holding all together. So I want you to think about this, how foolish we can be when we think that we can do anything on our own. You wanna know one of the biggest lies anybody can state, and if you said it, I'm not calling you a liar. You were misinformed, okay? So, but one of the biggest lies that we can state is that I am a self-made man, or I'm a self-made woman. Do you realize that the breath that it took for you to say those words came from God? That we have no strength, we we have no intellect, we have nothing in and of ourselves. It is Jesus Christ who holds all things together. And the more that we realize it, the more that we're truly gonna find life. So life without Jesus is impossible on the physical level. The second thing is that life without Jesus is not really life. That in the spiritual sense, until we have the life of Jesus Christ in us, we have not discovered life, we are breathing but we're dead. Until we have Jesus Christ living in us, we don't have true life. We have a physical being, we have an existence, but we're dead without him, so we can't have life without Jesus. Now we can, unfortunately, live a life apart from him. 
And while he is giving us the very life that we breathe, while he's giving us every moment, we can live apart from him, and that brings us to the subject of sin. And we need to talk about sin. There are many facts about sin, but there are three things that I'd like us to, to look at in this part of the message, and it's this. First of all, we are born in sin. We are born in sin. Secondly, our sin separates us from God and is punishable by death. Our sin separates us from God and is punishable by death. And third, if we die in our sin, we experience a second death, which is eternal torment in hell. If we die in our sin, we experience a second death, which is torment eternally in hell. So what is sin? If you look at the the original word, it actually means to miss the mark, to fall short of a target. But that mark that is missed is holiness. It's perfection. It's the righteousness of God. And sin is is missing that mark. In 1 John chapter 3, verse 4, it says that sin is lawlessness. So sin is a transgression. It's a breaking of the law of God. Romans 3.23, many of us know this and maybe have said it many times, declared it, that all have sinned, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Now when scripture says all, who does it include? All. So are you part of that all? All are part, you all are part of the all, right? All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Now we're gonna make it a little more personal because we can say all, it's like, okay, I'm in good company, right? Well, we're in company, we'll put it that way. (laughs) But all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. David, in Psalm 51, was dealing with his own sin and he recognized this. Surely I was sinful at birth. Even more sinful from the time my mother conceived me. It's in us from the start. We live in a fallen world. Mankind is in a fallen state. And we were born into this. Did we choose it? No. Is it there? Yes. There are a lot of things in life that we can't choose. We couldn't choose our parents. But you know what? It's, it's a miracle that each one of us was born. It's a tragedy, the state that we were born in. But that was of man's own choosing from the beginning. But surely, David said, I was sinful at birth and from the time my mother conceived me. So we started early, right from the start, and we grew in the sin, correct? So that sin was a starting place and it's unfortunately a place that we continue to grow in. And as we mature, we can become more and more mature in our sin. But what what I wanna solidify right now is that we each one are part of the all who have sinned. So I wanna go to the 10 Commandments. And we're gonna walk down through the 10 Commandments and we're gonna look and say, have I sinned? Now, as I do this, please don't feel that I'm pointing fingers. I'm pointing fingers this way, okay? Because I would like us to each listen to the commands of God 
and see how we've done. So this is, what, this is the law that God gave to Moses on the mountain. I know some people from watching movies thinks it started out to be 15 or 20 and became 10. That's not true. Um, there's 10 commandments that God gave and this is what we're going to look through. God spoke these words. He said, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. First command, you shall have no other gods before me. How have we done? Have we placed any God before the Almighty God? Commandment two, shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above or on earth beneath or in the waters below. These are idols. Have we formed idols of our own hands that we worship? Three, you shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God. Have I ever spoken the name of God in a disrespectful, dishonoring way, even as a curse word? Shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God. Four, remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Have I ever failed to set aside a day of the week set apart to the Lord? Fifth, honor your father and your mother. Have I failed at any time in honoring father and mother? You shall not murder. Now Jesus went a little bit further in explaining this, Matthew chapter five. He said, you have heard the command, you shall not murder, but if you're angry with another without reason, you're guilty of, of judgment. So that connects, it goes deeper. And that applies also to you shall not commit adultery. Because Jesus gave definition to this commandment in this way in Matthew chapter five. He said, if any, anyone looks at a woman lustfully, he, they've already committed adultery with her in her heart. Have you committed adultery? You shall not steal. In your lifetime, have you stolen anything at any time? You shall not give false witness against your neighbor. Don't lie. Have you ever lied? You shall not covet your neighbor's house. And it goes on to talk about the other things, possessions, and the neighbors of a neighbor's. Have, we, have I ever decide, des, desired something that belongs to somebody else? Have I coveted? We all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. The law was brought to show us that we've fallen short. The law, the commandments were given to, to lead us to this place where we realize we are helpless, we are lost. We need God. James chapter two, verse 10 says this, whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking all of it. Are we guilty? Now, I know that this is heavy. This is, I mean, I came to church to be lifted up. Man, I feel pretty low right now. You realize we need to feel pretty low right now? That we need to allow the work, the law, the work to, the law to do the work that God desires it to do, that we need to allow 
the Spirit to speak to us. This is not condemnation, this is illumination. I want you to understand that. That God is kindly shining the light on us. Have you ever thought about why the Ten Commandments have been removed from the public square? You ever wondered why they used to be in schools, they used to be in parks? They used to be part of American society and have been removed over and over and over again? It's because of this. The commandments show us that we're sinners. What do we as Americans do with that? Let's hide it. Let's push it away. Because the reality is, is that I, if I find my wrong without finding a solution, I am hopeless. I'm frustrated. I'm angry. And I say, move it. And I really believe that that's what has driven American society to do this, is to hide it. But it gets even worse. It's not that we've just all sinned. It's that we're headed for eternal damnation. Romans 6.23 says this, for the wages of sin is death. Our sin, the payment that we deserve for our sin is death. Now that death comes in two ways. We die physically because of sin. That's the curse. When you break the commandment of God, death will surely come, and it has. And we live in a world of death. But it's not just death of the body. There's an eternal death. If you look on the website, we have a listing of things that, that Grace Fellowship Church Shrewsbury believes. And one of those beliefs that's stated, I, I don't know if you've all read it, it's, I encourage you to periodically just go down through and read what we stand on, what we believe. And now there are, there are many things, as has often been said, that are what we consider secondary beliefs. That there can be differences and, that's, and they're not core issues. These are core foundational issues at Grace Fellowship Church Shrewsbury. And one of those is resurrection and judgments. We believe in the resurrection of the human body, the eternal existence of all men in either heaven or hell, in divine judgments, rewards, and punishments. I wanna encourage you, again, this is on the website, you can look up those, those scriptures, read through, and there's many, there are many, many more that, that lead us to be fully confident that this is, is, is a, a founded belief of Grace Fellowship Church. So I wanna read it one more time. That we believe in the resurrection of the human body, the eternal existence of all men in one of two places, either heaven or hell. We believe in the divine judgments, rewards, and punishments. So now, we're not just talking about sin, we need to talk about hell. And I wanna tell you is that I've, um, as I said, I've really wrestled with the preparation of this message and, and part of it is that like, I'm, there's this fearful part is that I wanna be careful how I address this. I don't wanna do this in a way that, that doesn't give glory to God. I don't wanna do this in a way that heaps condemnation. But you know what the reality is that so many times we're so fearful of that that we're silent. We can all be this way. And I felt this release where I knew that God laid this on my heart. I knew he was leading in this direction. And I was hesitant and all of a sudden it's like, I felt this release like God's saying, no, I'm telling you to go there, go there, it's important. We need to talk about this. We need to talk about hell. I found this brief summary of the, of the teachings of Jesus and 
I just want to read it to you. It says this, that, that Jesus doesn't only reference hell, he describes it in great detail. He says it's a place of eternal torment. These are words of Jesus, of unquenchable fire, where the worm does not die, where people will gnash their teeth in anguish and regret, and from which there is no return even to warn loved ones. He, Jesus, calls hell a place of outer darkness, comparing it to Gehenna, which was a trash dump outside the walls of Jerusalem where rubbish was burned and maggots abounded. This person's analysis of Jesus' teaching comes to this conclusion. It says that Jesus talks about hell more than he talks about heaven and describes it more vividly. There's no denying that Jesus knew, believed, and warned about the absolute reality of hell. It's the teachings of Jesus. It's important. We need to understand the reality. We need to, we need to embrace it with greater understanding what, what hell truly is like. Many of you remember that a number of years ago, a man came here to Grace. His name is Bill Weiss. He wrote a book called 23 Minutes in Hell. And he has traveled, he was, this was in 1998. Was, woke up at three o'clock in the morning and God just gave him a vision. And in that vision, 23 minutes, he, he saw the clock when, when the vision started. He, he wasn't, he, he has no idea. There, there was nothing that he had been watching or reading that would have prompted him for this. But he feels that God gave him a vision and that vision took him in a very real way to experiencing hell. And he tells the story, and, and this is, again, if you go to YouTube, Weese, um, it's spelled W-I-E-S-E, Bill Weese, and you can see there's actually like an eight-minute abbreviated testimony that uh, lays an incredible foundation for what he experienced. To be honest with you, I don't like hearing what he saw. I don't like hearing what he felt, what he, what he smelled, what, what in the inner part of his soul he was experiencing. But what happened was is that, that after that vision, he started to research and dive into scripture. And the man knows scripture like few people I've ever seen. He has over a thousand scriptures memorized and like when he talks, it's like scripture flows as fluidly as the words I'm now speaking. That he wanted to make sure everything that he shared, what he experienced was in the word of God. It wasn't a creation of his imagination or something that wasn't backed up by the word of God. So, so when you hear his descriptions, then he goes and he shows in scripture, this is what what scripture says hell is like. And this is what I experienced. And what's the reason, why would God give a man a vision such as this? I believe it's so that we would listen and that we would come to the conclusion that even as Jesus taught that hell is a real place, it's an eternal place, it's a place of torment beyond what we can comprehend. And it is the destination of all who do not know the Lord Jesus Christ. Right after I was asked to speak today, a sermon came to my mind that I've spent some time in this week and it's called this, Sinners in the Hand of an Angry God. Jonathan Edwards, who spoke this message back in 1741, was a contemporary of John Wesley that Pastor Jeff talked about. And they were part of the First Great Awakening. Jonathan Edwards first spoke this message in his own church and then he spoke at a church in Enfield, Connecticut. And 
July 8th of 1741 is when this was published. So we're talking almost 300 years ago. But it's become one of the most famous messages of that era, of the, fir of the First Great Awakening. And it's described that Jonathan Edwards, when he shared this message, was not passionate in his delivery. In fact, he was rather monotone. He read most of the message. In fact, he never really made eye contact, is what reports say. He never really looked at the people he was talking to. When he looked up, he was staring at the rope of the bell from the bell tower in the back of the sanctuary. And yet as he spoke, the Holy Spirit was convicting people so strongly that literally there were moans and there were groanings of people saying, what must I do to be saved? The message was based on this passage from Deuteronomy chapter 32, verse 35, that says this, their foot shall slide in due time. It's like, okay, how do you get a message with that kind of impact from that passage? I wanna encourage you to read it. I've gone through this message, I've read through it this week and I've gone back through parts of it and, and I wanna just share just a few things that this message has spoken strongly to me. This summary, I think, grasps a lot or captures a lot of what this message is saying. It's only the mercy of God that keeps people from falling into hell. And God's free to withdraw that mercy at any moment. Now what he describes is, is this place of torment. And as he's describing, he's saying that this is where mankind is headed apart from Christ. And life in this state, it's as if you're hanging over the flames of the pit, but all that's supporting you is a spider web that can barely hold your weight and there's a rock that can drop at any time and break that spider web and you enter into eternal damnation. And what he's talking about again is the way that, that the foot shall slide in due time is that there's, there's a time when we're going to step in eternity that we don't know. Several weeks ago we talked about that for the believers in Christ that it's the rapture that we could be taken to be with God at any moment, we don't know the time. But the reality is, is that any one of us can enter into eternity at any time and we don't know that time. And what he talked about was the urgency is to make things right with God, accept the provision of God through Jesus Christ. The reality is that we are powerless, you know, he says this over and over again, how powerless we are as mankind to resist and to avoid this eternal damnation. Do we believe this to be true? Do we believe that we were born in sin and that the punishment for sin is eternal damnation. And apart from Christ, that is our destiny. There's many of us that have used the phrase, hell on earth. Speaking of the tremendous difficult times that we experience here on earth. And there are many hellacious things that we do go through. From physical torments to relational abuse to hunger to 
think of all the tragedies to war, all the things that we can, can go through on earth, and, and it's often said this is hell on earth. But if we can imagine every atrocity and difficulty and struggle and pain that we go through on earth, according to what scripture describes, not even close to eternity in hell. Now for those of us that are in Christ, the struggles of this earth is the closest we'll ever get to hell. But for those who do not know the Lord, this doesn't even touch the pain, the suffering, the sorrow, the anguish of eternity in hell. When asked what doctrine he struggles with most, R.C. Sproul replied, hell. And I'm with him. I struggle with hell. And here's the thing, it's not that I doubt its existence because I'm convinced that me coming to realization and understanding of its existence helped lead me to the Lord. It's not that I struggle with the existence of hell. But here's what I struggle with. I struggle with the amount of people that I believe will be going there. I struggle with the intensity of the suffering for all of eternity. I'm not questioning the word of God, but yet we try to reconcile these things and, and it's like how can a loving God create something like this? It was created for, for Satan and the demons. But yet, God knew when he created man that many would go there. I, I struggle to reconcile some of those things, but, but I need to understand that God is bigger than my understanding. And that the wrath that is poured out in eternal punishment is not against his love. It is not separate from his love. He does not stop being loving when people are sent into eternity apart from him. Because another characteristic of God is that he is just. That means he rules justly. He does all things right. And what kind of a God would he be if he was not just? So these are things that I wrestle with. But the reality is that I believe that God wants us to look at this because he wants these truths to transform our lives. Several weeks ago I said, you know, I spoke on the rapture and I shared some of my struggles with that. Is that like, am I longing for the Lord's return? Am I loving him as, as the bride adores the husband and longs to be with him? And since I've shared that, I wanna tell you is that God has been moving me deeper in, that, in living in light of the rapture. He's doing a transformation in my heart. And as I bring this today, this message of hell, I wanna tell you that this is a struggle for me, but I believe even as I'm delivering this message and as God's been, been literally drilling this into my life this week, that he wants to bring transformation in my life through these truths. And I can tell you, and this has been happening for a while with me, but, but I can tell you just in the last few days, it's like as I'm driving, as I'm going through the store, I'm wondering, do they know Jesus? Do they know that apart from Christ, what their eternity will be? Am I doing anything about it? If somebody was, their life was being threatened and there's something that, that I could do about it and I failed to do it, how would I feel about myself? 
You know, if it was something like, like an outward tragedy of, of a fire or something and, I, and I, could rescue, I could run in and rescue or I could do something to bring assistance and I did nothing, how could I live with myself? And this is where my struggling comes in because I believe in the reality of hell. I believe that the word of God is true and yet am I living as a rescuer? Am I living as one that will snatch people from the fires of hell? Am I more concerned about just living my life and more concerned about how they may respond to this message? As we grow as disciples of Jesus Christ, will we become more and more able to receive his truth in all of its fullness and allow that truth to flow through us? I believe that many of the struggles I've just shared with you, many of you probably struggle with similar things. I want us to find greater victory together. I want us to allow these truths to transform our lives because here's the reality. Ezekiel 33, 11. The Lord says this, say to them, as surely as I live, declares the sovereign Lord, I take no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but rather that they turn from their ways and live. God's heart, God's desire is that none would perish but that all would come to repentance. God's desire is that there would be life, his life flowing through all. The reality is is that we will all stand before the Lord. Every person, everyone who has ever lived. Romans 14 Verse 10 and 12 says this, for we will all stand before God's judgment seat, so then each of us will give an account of ourselves to God. We stand individually, but God's desire is that we be standing with Christ. God has made the way that we can stand before a holy God and be welcomed. And I think sometimes we, well, I'm just curious, think about when, we, when I was reading through the Ten Commandments, as we were going down through those, were there any times that you were justifying yourself? Yes, but, or yeah, but not too much. The thing is, is that when we stand before God, there will be no arguments that will stand because God sees us perfectly. He judges righteously. And his just, justice will be applied to each one of our lives. Romans chapter two, beginning with verse five, it says this, because of your stubbornness and your unrepentant heart, you're storing up wrath against yourself for the day of God's judgment. Think about that. This is our work when we're stubborn and unrepentant, when we're not turning from our sin toward God. You're storing up wrath against yourself for the day of God's wrath. When his righteous judgment will be revealed, God will repay each person according to what they have done. To those who by persistence in doing good seek glory, honor, and immortality, he will give eternal life. But for those who are self-seeking and who reject the truth and follow evil, there will be wrath and anger. That is not God's desire for us but it is his justice that will be meted out according to how we have lived here. Now, as I said, is that 
The law, the purpose of the law was not to make us right before God. The purpose of the law, the reason that, that we can read those commandments and realize how much we failed is that the purpose of the law was to point us to Christ. Galatians chapter three, verse 24 says this, the law was our tutor, is our guardian, it was our schoolmaster to bring us to Christ that we may be justified by faith. Jesus is the solution and the transformation comes as we believe, as we put our trust in him. The law was not meant to make us right before God. It was, it was to make us guilty, to help us to understand that we needed God and that Jesus is his provision. So we're about to receive communion together. And if uh, when you're coming in, if you didn't pick up one of the mini chalices uh, with the elements, if you would please raise your hand. Um, just keep your hand up until uh, somebody brings you um, the elements. So we're gonna be receiving communion shortly. But we need to be ready to receive. I've talked about sin, our failure, death, and eternal punishment. But now we talk about grace. We talk about the grace of God, the free gift that he gives to all who will receive because all sin demands judgment and all sin will be judged, God sent Jesus to take all of the wrath and the judgment of sin on himself. God literally took out all his wrath against sin and poured it on his own son, Jesus Christ. And those things that we are deserving of, Jesus was not, but he said, I'll take that punishment for you. Romans 10, beginning with verse six, or I'm sorry, Romans five, and I've been in this chapter so many times, it's been, I just encourage you to read through the chapter. Um, Romans five, beginning with verse six, says this. You see, at just the right time, I'll let you read along with me. Follow along on the screen. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, there's nothing that we could do. We were powerless. Christ died for the ungodly. That's you, that's me. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person. Though for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? For if while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? do we realize the great salvation that is ours? That's why it's so important to understand sin in a deeper way. It's so important that we understand the cost of sin, the payment of sin, the penalty of sin, and the torment that sin brings. Because as we understand this in a deeper way, as we feel the gravity of it, as we feel the weight of it, we sense in a greater way this great powerful weight that's lifted from us through Jesus Christ. We understand more and more what he has saved us from and what he is calling us to. And we embrace this life in such a much, a much greater way. You know, so many times we can come to Christ because we think, oh wow, this is gonna make life easy. It's not what God says. In this life you will have tr troubles, you'll have struggles. But do you know what he does? He gives us life. 
It's not that he makes life easy. He gives us life because apart from him, we are dead. But in him, we have life. And in him, we have life eternal. And as I embrace that life, then that life becomes the most important thing in me. His life that he has imparted to me through Jesus Christ becomes the center of all I do, becomes the center of, of, of my desires. It, it guides everything, his life in me. And that's what we're desiring, to, we believe that God's desiring to do through these, these uh, communities of, where we come together and, and we confess our struggles, but we're proclaiming testimony of the faithfulness of God. He lifts us from the deepest depths and seats us together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, amen and amen. This is the life that he has for us. It came at a great price. I want you to hear this, Isaiah 53. He was pierced for our transgression. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, on Jesus, and by his wounds we are healed. We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. It was the Lord's will to crush him and to cause him to suffer. And though the Lord makes his life an offering for sin, he will see his offspring and prolong his days and the, and the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. God's love is so strong for us that he was pleased to offer his son as the sacrifice, as the payment for our sin. And when he took that wrath upon himself, it freed us from the wrath to come as we believe, as we put our faith, as we put our trust in Jesus. But here's the thing. If we fail to embrace the sacrifice of Christ, the wrath remains on us. Do we understand that? That if we fail to receive the provision of God through his son, Jesus Christ, we will bear the wrath as the eternal punishment. Friends, I'm not saying that to scare you. I'm saying this that you may have life, that you may live in him and find life, both now and forevermore in the presence of God. child of God to all who did receive him to those who believed in his name he gave the right to become children of God children born not of natural descent not of human decision or husband's will but born of God as we receive these elements together before we receive it's so important that each one of us looks at our lives and we ask the question honestly before God am I your child Have I accepted the work of Jesus Christ on the cross as payment for my sin and received by faith, received his forgiveness? We often say that it's a prayer and if you've prayed that prayer, you know, you're a child of God and, and that can be true. But the reality is that it's not just a confession of our mouth because we confess with our mouth and we must believe in our hearts. 
And when we believe in our hearts, that means that we've surrendered our lives to him, that we've realized that apart from him we are dead, but we receive his life in us, and that changes us. That changes us. It's not because now I'm working harder. No, it's because, as, as Pastor Jeff shared last week, it's about surrender. I've surrendered my life to him. I'm no longer my own. I've been bought with a price. And my life is no longer lived for me. It's lived for him who died for me. And the Holy Spirit is living inside and giving me the power and the strength to live righteous. Not of my own doing. It's not of works. So, we are gonna get to communion here. I know, hang on to those elements yet. I was really curious what today's devotion was gonna be in New Morning Mercies. And I held off reading it until this morning. And I read it and I was just saying, God, you are God. The verse that was at the bottom of the page was Ephesians chapter two, verses one through 10. Before we receive together, I want to read this to you. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of the world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath, but because of his great love for us. God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It's the gift of God. It's not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. If you have received the life of Jesus Christ into you, and accepted his payment for your sin and committed your life to follow after him. Surrender your heart to him. You have that confidence that you are his child and his spirit bears witness. His spirit bears witness with your spirit that you are his child. And this that we're about to receive is for his children. It's for those that who have, re- who have received him, who, have, who are walking with him, who belong to him. God's invitation is that all would be there with him. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your great love for us. God, we thank you that though we were lost in our sin, though we were destined for eternity in hell, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Jesus, thank you for giving your life for us, for dying on that cross, for bearing the penalty of our sin, for spilling your blood that we could be cleansed. Jesus, we rejoice that you conquered sin, death, and the grave, that you rose from the, from the dead, and in you we have victory God, we have the confidence that that we are yours, that we live for you now and we'll be with you for eternity. So God, as we receive these elements, we pray, God, that you would help us to with great appreciation give glory and honor to you. Help us, God, to to be overwhelmed with thanksgiving and and so dependent on you, Lord, that, 
that our lives would continually be transformed more and more into the, into the image of Christ. So now as we receive God, continue to work a deeper and deeper work in each one of our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Paul gives these instructions in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. He says, I've received from the Lord what I passed to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night that he was betrayed, he took bread. We take the bread. When he had given thanks, he broke it, and he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. We partake together. Thank you, Jesus, for your body given for us. And in the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is a new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. We drink together. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus, for giving your life for us. Thank you that because you have died for us and paid the penalty, because, Lord, you have given us this gift of faith to trust you and to receive you into our lives, that we don't have to fear eternity. We don't have to fear death. But, God, we walk in life and newness of life. God, we thank you for the great work that you have done. We offer ourselves, again, as living sacrifices, be glorified, in and through us we pray. Paul gives this, whenever you eat this bread and drink this, this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And it is in his death and because of his resurrection that we have life and we have life eternal. And for those who are children of God, we have this testimony that we will declare. So Grace, would you please stand with me as we celebrate and as we sing our testimony. We hope you enjoyed this message. You can find more like it on our website under sermons. To keep up to date with our sermon series, hit the subscribe button in your podcast host and follow our social media pages. Just search for GFC Shrewsbury on the platform of your choice. If you're looking to connect with us further, then you can email us at connect at gfcshrewsbury.org. We will be back next week with another message. We hope to see you again soon.